So we're going to read the gospel. I'm going to have us stand for the reading of the gospel. This is Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 48. With all that beautiful art in our minds, let's imagine these words of Christ. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other side also. And if, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Can you put it back one for the first? Thank you. Like Aaron said, if we just take these as commandments... It's a, high, it's a high calling. I don't think very many Christians in church history have um, postured themselves around this particular passage. And many of us are still learning how to do so um, with God's grace and God's mercy. I want us to consider, and we'll talk a little bit in small groups, these three examples that Jesus gives. They're interesting. And I don't want us to miss them. Um, they come real quick, one after another. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. There's three little examples there. Um, It's important to note that these represent three different uh, symbols. The first one is body, the body. It's like a physical... um, it's a hit. It's a slap. You could see it as a, a physical uh, attack. The second one involves court, litigation, making things fair. The third one involves, uh, apparently this is military language in the third one, where um, I guess in the Roman Empire, the soldiers could ask anyone to carry their equipment for them for a mile. It was like a law that they could... Uh, ask anybody to help them carry their equipment. And so the idea here is that, well, if you're being forced or bullied into military work, then just give them the second mile. Um, Those are extremely countercultural for our ears. I know that much. I imagine for any context throughout history, also countercultural. I want you to talk amongst yourselves for a little bit and If you've ever heard a story or observed this happen in real life, any of these three, the idea of someone 
turning their cheek the other way for a second blow, or um, losing a lawsuit and giving more to the, the person suit, or the helping the military out when you, don't, you didn't sign up for that. Talk amongst yourselves if you've ever heard of any story that relates us to these words. Turn to your neighbor. <laughs> So um, I just observed something interesting as I was going through these. I felt like there were some blank stares. I wasn't sure if there was going to be any stories being told. Um, when I told you to turn to your neighbor, it was kind of like, <laughs> not sure I have a story to tell. Those aren't the kind of things you hear about on the evening news or any of it. But I heard a lot of talking. So my curiosity is, is anyone in the room that was a character in one of these stories told? Has anyone ever played a role in like something like that, dramatic? Marcus? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Oh, like, 
Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. Any others? Maybe one more, if, if you were, happen to be a character in <laughs> a story like this, an example like this. Missy told a story. OK, yeah. Thank you. Um, I think it's, it's important to tell stories, especially when we have something so almost unachievable, especially um, depending on what context or what lens you hear this through or what you've faced in your lifetime. Um, one of the, I enjoy hearing the stories because I think this can be, this passage is extremely popular among poets and writers and theologians and um, people that write and get into the, the ethics of the New Testament, of Jesus' teachings. Um, but so often I hear it kept at, at the thought, at a thought level of nonviolence or um, pacifism. And, and, and then if, it, if, it, if we haven't experienced the actual um, embodiment of these are just three examples, but of, of force upon us. We can keep it at the thought level, and um, there's a temptation to keep it there. Like, and often that becomes a debate where um, we we like Jesus. Maybe he wasn't being very serious. Maybe it's you can't take Jesus too seriously because what if um, we give these hypothetical things like. A woman, what if a woman's in an abusive marriage and she has to like read this Bible verse and then we, we kind of like get out of it that way because there, we, we don't want to believe that he would have said that to such and such. And then on the other side, the, the people would say, well, this can't, we can't totally take this seriously because if someone came into your house and tried to murder your kids and your wife and rape everybody, like, then you couldn't be a pacifist. So we, we have heard we, all of us, I think those thoughts and debates and arguments, and we haven't heard a lot of stories about how this might be embodied. And I, I'm so grateful for at least two stories among us this morning. Um, and yeah, the imagination of, of 
what this could, what this gift that Christ is offering, which is so counterintuitive, um, how that could be a gift to us and what we can receive from these words. Um, I am not the one to stand up here and say how I love my enemy. I have never been um, the victim of an attack or I have not been in the courts. I haven't been um, asked to do something by an oppressive regime or a military. I, I cannot tell stories about the severity of these words. Um, but one thing that I, I think that's good for us in this time is to hear from people who have lived in times that, that we have on both, that we're in, in, a, in a broad scale and then also in our, in our personal, like, daily lives. And Martin Luther King Jr., um, I feel like his words on this passage are a gift to us once again. Um, his message was, his work was of resistance, but his message was, I'm not resisting people, individuals, human beings. I'm resisting systems. We are resisting systems of injustice. And Joe, I'm going to play the, the, the second clip. Um, his words are, they're life-giving, I think, I hope, for all of us in, um, in the room this morning. And the, this is a brief clip of one of his speeches, but it, it ends like a prayer. And I, I just want to open um, this very topic, the way that he, he addresses it. So.
So this is a prayer. And I'm gonna use, I'm gonna continue to use his words to open our imaginations up. And the prayer too is that we, we imagine ourselves embodying um, words of Christ that have put, been put so high upon us with hypothetical scenarios. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, this command is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. Yes, it is love that will save our world and our civilization, love even for enemies. In order to love your enemies, he says, you must begin by analyzing yourself. Look in the mirror. Are you loved by God? Could another human being that, that you hate also be loved by God? He says, some people won't like you, and I don't like everybody. They will always be jealous or annoyed or compare themselves to others, thus creating enemies all around, to every level, whether they know it or not. But he says, look at yourself. How can you see a splinter in his eye if you can't see the plank in your own? He says, to love our enemy is to discover the element of good in our enemy. And every time we begin to hate that person and think of hating that person, we need to realize that there is some good and look at those good points which will overbalance the bad points. He gives different examples of ways to love your enemy, just like Christ did in, in the gospel. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, when the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time which you must not do it. Love is creative understanding goodwill for all men, women, and children. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system, you love them, but you seek to defeat that system. He talks about the different words for love in the Greek, in the New Testament. And in this passage, um, the word for love is agape, which is different than the other two words. The other two are um, more affectionate or friendship, more sentimental. This one, agape, correct me if I'm wrong, Greek people in the room, is more whole. It's a wider... Um, Give me words. It's wider than the feeling and emotional love that you can find in the other words. And this agape is the yeah, all encompassing. Um, how did he say it? 
I don't want to put words into Dr. King's mouth, but he used the word to um, to thank you. Yes. Yes. The widening, and it's also important as I'm remembering, the way he described it as well is there's no guaranteed outcome of this love. That is the severity of this love. There's no, oh, I'm going to, we might win this battle if we just love more and wider and deeper. There's no exchange because that's how wide that love is. Um, no guaranteed outcome. Thank you. That was really helpful. Um, was missing the, missing those <laughs> descriptive words. Um, I'm going to continue to read. Um, he he goes on to say, and this is a, he reiterates this over and over again. At those moments when you are tempted to resist, that is when you love instead. Um, love your enemy. Not like your enemy. He'll say that over and over again as well. Like is sentimental, affectionate. Um, might imply that your enemy might become your friend. Maybe you don't really want your enemy to become your friend. <laughs> um, he's saying, no, love is greater than that. It's greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive, goodwill. Again, because you have agape love. That is the love of your soul. That's how deep that love can be. And over and over again, when the opportunity presents itself, when you can defeat your enemy, you must not do it. One thing to imagine, too, is the way that hate or revenge has the potential to recycle itself. And... Um, for adults, we're all pretty good. I mean, we can like quickly stop a fight between two little kids because we, we know that if they get physical, or even when they're verbal, that the back and forth isn't going to get them anywhere. One of them's going to end up near dead if you just let it go on and on. Um, I think a good challenge for adults is to, to, to understand something like this through the eyes of a child. Um, how we would direct or redirect a child in a conflict, whether it's words or physical force. Um, that's something to imagine, I think, with the broadness of the creativity of this love. Um, 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, the person who hates, for the person who hates, the beautiful becomes ugly, and the ugly becomes beautiful. For the person who hates, the good becomes bad, and the bad becomes good. For the person who hates, the true becomes false, and the false becomes true. That's what hate does. You can't see right. He encourages us to meet every situation of life with abounding love. Never hate because it ends up in tragic, neurotic responses. Hate at any point is a cancer that gnaws away at the very vital center of your life and your existence. It is like eroding acid that eats away the best and the objective center of your life. So Jesus says, love, because hate destroys the hater as well, excuse me, as well as the hated. <clears throat> so with this, you can put it on the, the next slide, Joe, thanks. Um, with this imagination, it helps as we take his advice and look first at ourselves to maybe be able to name, not out loud, who our enemies are. Um, <laughs> and if we're honest with ourselves, really honest, uh, we might be able to, to sense who it is that opposes us or doesn't, you don't like or whatever that consumes our thoughts so much that those thoughts become hateful. It's easy for me to um, look at the national scene, look at the, not only the foreign threats and the internal conflicts and to say broadly like, oh, I love my enemies, I welcome Muslims into my home and I serve them and offer them hospitality. That love of enemy for me personally is easy because they're not my enemy, <laughs> they're my friends. Uh, who are my enemies? Who do I know more deeply where that emotion of hate can come forth. We can't pass off these commands as broad, kind of, um, well, I do, you know, I, I, I believe this one way towards this people group and this label and this sect or whatever, but who in our lives, um, in our ordinary love, Love is ordinary. There's people around us, family members, spouses, children, uncles, aunts, neighbors, frenemies, people that you compete with in your field. You know, there's people close to us that um, we have the gift through Christ of, of offering them love. It's tempting to want to reach, reach really high for um, bigger and more broad ways to show our love publicly. But I think one challenge here in this imagination is to look lower from the bottom up and to, to face the human beings among us. Hey, guys, welcome back. <laughs> So, we're going to welcome children back.
So my encouragement is, be careful of hypothetical dialogue in your mind about what enemy, or how to love the enemy, or when the day comes, or sometime out there, when things get really bad, and offer that deep, broad love to the people around us who we might want to name as our enemies. Praying for enemies. Praying for enemies isn't sexy, because no one can see you doing it. <laughs> Who's going to like sit down and pray for their enemy? But this imagination of Christ himself, we see this in his ministry, in his life, and as he moves towards the cross. This is what Christ does. Finally, the, the closing verse here. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This isn't some sort of perfectionism that we have um, embedded in us, like, culturally. It's not exceptionalism. The perfection of God is that deep, wide love, the agape, that God offers us. It's a maturity, not a cleaning up sort of perfection. Hey guys, welcome back. So with that, we're going to move to the table. This is uh, some artwork. I believe it's the first, the first station of the cross in a series. Does that look like the first one in the series? Second? It's the first or second station of the cross um, by an Argentinian artist. His last name is Esquivel. Um, I'm going to have this image up for the next few moments for us to just reflect on. Like Scott mentioned, we're in Lent, and we're moving towards Holy Week. And as we prepare to receive Eucharist together, we can view the image.
Welcome back. As you find your parents or friends can have a seat. Last week we did something new with how we share communion together. Um, instead of coming forward to receive these gifts, we are doing it in groups around the room. Um, because of the theme this morning, we wanted to do this again. And we want to make sure that one or two people aren't just serving the groups of people like that. Instead, each person in the group will serve and be served. And we'll do our best to look at each other's faces and into each other's eyes and receive these gifts as one body. So organizationally, we will do Two groups here, front and back. A group here, two groups here, front and back. A group here, and a group back here. We'll give you all some extra time because of the extra chaos. <laughs> um, let's give thanks. Father, we thank you for this time of the year where we journey together towards Holy Week, towards the most sacred, the most meaningful and life-giving part of the story that God offers to us in the cross of Jesus. As we journey towards Holy Week, Lord, we ask that you teach us how to be together, how to love one another, how to love our friends, how to love our enemies, to pay attention to those who are unseen. We thank you for the gifts that Christ offers to his disciples every Sunday. For this bread, for this juice, and for what it represents in our lives every day. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.